From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., candidates for office spent the weekend making their final pitches to voters. In the case of the race for governor and U.S. Senate, candidates continued crisscrossing the state. The election is tomorrow. Let's just take the governor's race. So if I'm Governor Walker or if I'm Democratic challenger Tony Evers, what is my closing argument? In other words, what points do they absolutely have to emphasize in the final hours? No, what we've been hearing from Governor Walker, yet you can't afford to go back uh, with Tony Evers, that he's a threat to the improvements made in Wisconsin, and he's defending himself on protections for pre-existing conditions. Uh, for Tony Evers, he's trying to make a case, it's time for a change. That is really kind of at the heart of his message, it's time for change, and that Governor Walker's change, he's all about himself. He's obviously, obviously defending himself on various things like taxes and those things, but really, you know, that's kind of... Uh, where they're at. You know, Governor Walker is saying you need to keep him in office to maintain what's been going on. And Tony Evers is saying that Governor Walker is about himself. It's time for a change. The final Marquette poll before the election came out last week, and it shows pretty much the same results as last time, with Governor Walker and his Democratic challenger, Tony Evers, neck and neck, and Democratic U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin still with a wide lead over her Republican challenger, Leah Vukmir. What do you make of these results? And again, I'm wondering why the governor's race is so tight, yet the U.S. Senate race shows Tammy Baldwin with a commanding lead. Well, one thing could be just that there's been a significant financial disparity in the Senate race. Tammy Baldwin's raised like $31 million since the last couple months of 2012. Um, Leah Vukmir is around $5 million raised or so through the most recent reporting period. And Tammy Baldwin's used that financial edge to her advantage. She has put a withering series of ads on TV about health care, which is a, one of the biggest issues for voters this fall, and she has hammered on that issue again and again and again on Leah Vukmir, and it's helped to find her, because Vukmir, while she's made her own, you know, knocks on Baldwin about things like Medicare for All and those kinds of things, she hasn't has had an equally sized megaphone to amplify her message. I mean, Baldwin's just had superior resources to do that. Also, I'm wondering, what role have third-party candidates played in these elections? Uh, Let's take the governor's race again, which is neck and neck. The Marquette poll shows Libertarian candidate Phil Anderson with three percentage points. Governor Walker and Tony Evers each have 47. Could Phil Anderson play spoiler? And if so, does he take votes away from Walker or Evers? It's a good question. I've heard the theory that uh, having an alternative uh, hurts Walker because he is the incumbent and that people unhappy uh, I've also heard the theory that it hurts Evers because if you don't like the incumbent and you um, are looking for alternative you know Anderson is an alternative other than Evers so we'll see I haven't broken down those Marquette numbers deeply enough to know who's backing Anderson but we'll see what number he hits come election day when voters who say they support him in the poll right now actually pull a lever for him in the voting booth. As expected, there were some more bold promises in the final days of the campaign. Late last week, Governor Walker said for the first time that he wants to enact the exact same language that's in the Affordable Care Act at the state level, guaranteeing insurance coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. At the same time, Tony Evers said if elected, he would be open to increasing training requirements to obtain a concealed weapon in Wisconsin. 
It seems like in this election, the gubernatorial candidates in particular have been throwing out promises more frequently and frantically than ever before. What's your take? Uh, you know, you see this a lot in close races at the end. You know, remember in 2014 and 10, Governor Walker didn't have really that close a race. He was up by five or six points in the final Marquette poll and went on to win by six or seven points. So, you know, it's a different environment right now. But what really interests people I talk to is the Walker response on pre-existing conditions. This has been an issue that has bedeviled Republicans up and down the ticket, not just in Wisconsin, but nationally. Um, and you can tell that Walker had to come back to this time and time again because Republicans are having a hard time answering that question. If you look in the Marquette poll, um, health care is one of the top issues for voters. And of those who say it's the number one issue, they're backing Evers by significant numbers. So Walker's been trying to find a way to answer that, that charge from Evers about pre-existing conditions and assure voters those protections will remain if he's reelected. President Trump's administration has rejected Governor Walker's plan to require drug screening and testing for adults on Medicaid with no dependent children. Instead, the plan approved last week calls for applicants to, con- to complete a health risk assessment. And if there's a concern about substance abuse, they'll be referred for treatment. But the administration did approve other restrictions, such as a work requirement. One issue that Governor Walker has been running on is welfare reform. So does the Trump administration's action on Wisconsin's Medicaid waiver help or hurt Walker in the campaign? You know, that was an issue that uh, three years ago when they pushed it through was something that Republicans talked about a lot. Governor Walker has defended it since then, saying this is all about trying to put more people in the workforce. But honestly, it's just not getting that much attention in the environment because it's not really a driving issue right now. People are more talking about pre-existing conditions and taxes and immigration. Those seem to be the some of the issues that we're seeing more in the ads and, and online, those kinds of things. So I, I don't know if that's breaking through right now, to be honest with you. And finally, we've been focusing a lot on the governor's race and the U.S. Senate. Now let's talk about the state legislature. It looks like the assembly is safely or will be safely in Republican hands. But as for the Senate, Democrats need only two seats to flip. What is the likelihood of that happening and what are the races to watch? Well, it's a good question um, because while they need two to flip, they also have one that Trish has been in Republican hands they have to defend. So there's like kind of a, a number of paths that they have, but some of them aren't very wide. So in talking to people, gen- generally speaking, the idea has been that Democrats must hold the first Senate district. Uh, Caleb Frostman of Sturgeon Bay won that seat in a June special election, beating Republican Andre Jacques, a state representative. They have a rematch. Uh, coming up on Tuesday. So the big question is, can Caleb hold that seat? That's the number one thing for Democrats to do. Number two, they talk a lot about the 17th Senate District in southwestern Wisconsin. Howard Marklein's a Republican, has had that seat. Um, He has proven in the past to be able to to run ahead of the top of the ticket, uh, which have Republicans kind of at the top. But the question is, how big of a, a disadvantage can you overcome? Because that district tends to vote for Democrats at the top. Republicans, you know, for the legislature. The question is how much might Evers or and Baldwin win that district and then how's that influence a down ballot race? Then you try and find that that next seat for Democrats to pick up. The question is, is it the race for the open fifth Senate district with Republican Representative Dale Coyanga, Democrat Julie Henze? That district is really in the area of the state where uh, suburban Milwaukee, where Republicans have been struggling with voters because of Donald Trump. 
But that's a pre-Republican seat, so can you, you know, how bad is the environment there for Republicans? The 19th Senate districts in the Appleton area, Roger Roth is the incumbent Republican. He's running against uh, Lee Snodgrass, a Democrat. That one's been traditionally a federal Republican seat, but there's also the Kimberly-Clark issue in that district. Is that a wild card that could change things? Then you got to look at a couple other seats. Uh, there are a lot of lots of money being poured into the 25th Senate district in northern Wisconsin. Janet Bewley, the Democratic senator up there from Ashland, she's being challenged by James Bullen, a Republican. You know, that seat typically is Democratic. It looks like a Democratic year, but you know, Donald Trump has kind of scrambled the map a little bit because in rural and northern Wisconsin and western Wisconsin went for Trump in 2016. Are, is that going to realign itself in some way? So will that be a competitive race? And then over in the Eau Claire area is the open 31st district uh, where Democrat Jeff Smith, Republican Mel Pittman are running against each other. Now that's in Democratic hands right now. It's again a Democratic seat, Democratic year, but it's an open seat, so you kind of never know. But I think people feel like Smith has got an advantage in that one. So if you wind through that map, the bottom line is, yes, Democrats want to flip two. But beyond that, they've got to hold one, focus on Mark Line, and then where's that second seat to flip? That's the big question. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.